Oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Lord, there is none like you. There is none beside you. Father, I pray we would stand in awe of you right now. The fact that it is an act of your mercy that we can even come together to worship you. God, giving you all that we can and yet it falls so short of what you deserve. But Lord, would you take this offering right now? Would you take it? Would you search our hearts right now? We wanna offer you worship from clean hands and pure hearts, God. Right now, I pray any distraction, any discouragement, anything, we would just cast that upon the holy and great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We would cast that upon you because you care for us. And you say, I want that. I'm gonna take that because I got a word for you today. I don't want you to be distracted from my word today. I wanna care for you. I wanna exhort you. I wanna correct you. I wanna strengthen you. I wanna uphold you. I wanna draw near to you. And so, Father, would you find a church that is hungry to draw near to you and would you draw near to us? Oh, God. Oh, Lord, come. Manifest your presence. Oh, God, would you be among us? Change us. Let us not approach your word flippantly. Let us not approach it pridefully with our own opinions of what we want you to say. But God, we would just come before you humbly and say, God, here I am, Lord, speak to me. Change me, I need you. And may we see the glorious truth of the gospel like never before. We pray all of this in the awesome name of Jesus Christ. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. Amen, you may be seated. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Let's open up our Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word in front of you, our ushers are coming forward right now, just put your hand up nice and high so we can drop a copy of God's Word in your lap. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. And our text is on page 579 of those Bibles that we are handing out to you this morning. And as many of you know, if you've been here the last number of weeks, we're continuing on in our series in the book of Titus, verse by verse, line by line, and the title of the series is God's Heart for the Church. And it's really answering this question of what is the blueprint God has given for what a healthy church, and by extension, what healthy believers are to look like. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at chapters one and two, and we've looked at the foundation for the healthy church, for the life of a healthy believer, and that is this, two words, doctrinal purity. Doctrinal purity. Now, let's make sure we're on the same page. For those of you who've been coming, this should be in our memory banks right now. What is doctrine? What is doctrine? Well, you see it on the screen. Wayne Grudem describes it this way. What the whole Bible teaches about some particular topic. What the whole Bible teaches about a topic. These are the, the doctrine of God are the teachings given to us by God in his word that lead us to him. Sound doctrine is the path to God. You and I cannot truly worship a God we do not truly know. 
We cannot truly love a God we do not truly know. And doctrine is a beautiful protection for the church because it keeps us from taking one verse out of context and spinning it any way we want to suit our needs and desires for what's easy for us, what's comfortable for us. Doctrine protects the church that way from distortion in its teaching. But doctrine also equips the church. It equips the church and believers to fulfill their God-given calling, their God-given mandate to be growing and maturing as disciples of Jesus Christ to ultimately see God's church built up and his glory revealed. How does it do this? Well, you saw this last week, and I encourage you to write this down, keep this in our minds. Doctrine, if I could sum it up, leads to a greater knowledge of God, which leads to a greater love for God, that leads to a faithful life rooted and lived out in God. That's the beauty of sound doctrine. That is why it's worth contending for. That is why it is worth upholding. Because it leads ultimately to a greater love for God and a faithful life rooted and lived out in God. And remember, doctrine never just builds up in our minds more information. We're not about becoming a bunch of Bible knowledge people and just know stuff. Doctrine moves us past information into transformation. Transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit being transformed from one degree of glory to the next into the image of our Savior. And so over the last two weeks, as we've looked at chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we've looked at what a life rooted in sound doctrine looks like practically as it is lived out. As it is lived out so we can be effective witnesses for Christ. And we looked at various contexts in our home, in our church, in our marriages, when we're under authority, in our day-to-day lives. Now, did you notice something over the last couple weeks, loved ones? Maybe this is just me. Did you notice that the standard God calls his people to, they're pretty high. Would you say that? I mean, just check out your last couple weeks. Just how's that working for you, that whole self-control thing? That whole dignified speech thing? The purity standard. The dignity standard. The reverence standard. How's that just going? The submission. And you may be asking, if you look at your last two weeks, I look at my last two weeks, you may be asking this question, how is it even possible to live this way? Because the reality becomes very clear very quickly that you and I cannot do this on our own. Or we will be sunk It's not like you'll leave here today saying, great, I'm going to live a life of sound doctrine now. Good luck. So how is it possible to live this way? And this highlights the problem. Because there's increasing numbers of people, both Christians and non, by the way, trying to live like Christ without the power of Christ. There's the problem. Fall into this behavioral mentality, moralistic gospel. I can earn it. I can just be a Christian without actually living in the power of Christ. I can live a godly life. Won't happen. It's impossible. And we do this because either we believe a false gospel, 
that we looked at a few weeks ago, or we don't understand, I think this is the majority of the case for true believers, we don't understand the fullness of the gospel that we have received and how it directs and applies in literally every circumstance, every day in our lives. We know Jesus saved us from sin. Okay, what does that mean when I'm at home? What does that mean when I'm in the workplace? What does that mean when that fear hits? And the result is this. We end up living lives of discouragement, frustration, con- living in, under condemnation and guilt, living in hopelessness, and we begin to get doubt that God has given us all we need for life and godliness through the gospel. What is the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ? We begin to doubt that. Is it really true? Is it really powerful? Does it really save? Does it really change? Well, here in our text, I love this, we move to the heart of this letter. This is the, this is the heart of the book of Titus, these six verses. And we see so clearly that the foundation or the basis for all godly living that we've described in verses 1 to 10 so far, it must be and can only be the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the basis. That is the foundation. The gospel is what saves us. The gospel is what changes us. The gospel is what empowers us. The gospel is what unifies us to live the lives we are called to and to be the church that God calls us to be. It is the foundation. It has to be the foundation. This, so these six verses that we're going to look at, if you don't take sermon notes, today should be your first time. This is gospelology, 101, 201, and 301, packed in three, six verses. Go and grab some sermon notes, get a pen, because you're going to need to go back to it and back to it and back to it again. This is the heart of the gospel. It is beautiful, and we will see two crucial truths, loved ones, that we must embrace. It's not an option. We must embrace if we are to live lives rooted in sound doctrine through the gospel. Ready? Gospel 101, 201, 301. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read these six verses together. Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Hear the word of the Lord, loved ones. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Get your pens ready. To live lives rooted in sound doctrine, we must, point number one, live in the power of the gospel, salvation. We must live in the power of the gospel, salvation. And the question that you and I are confronted with from the first section of this text is this. The gospel is the foundation for godly living. Am I living in its power? 
Am I living in its power? Let's look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Remember, we got to read scripture in context, so let's get our context. First century, 62 to 64 AD, the apostle Paul has planted churches on the island of Crete in southern Greece with his son in the faith, Titus. Now recall, like us here at Hope Ottawa, these churches are approximately two to three years old right now. But the issue that the, the Cretans are struggling with is that these are new believers in this church and they're not rooted or grounded in sound doctrine. And so the, the, the risk is the church is about to be divided or destroyed through the false teaching that was gaining traction and the false teachers promoting an immoral lifestyle from it. Now recall, what was the false gospel that we saw in chapter one that the false teachers were teaching? These were called the Judaizers and they were like, Jesus plus my works equals salvation. Jesus plus my ritual purity in this context. That means upholding the Mosaic law, ritual purity specifically, emphasizing circumcision. Jesus, the grace of God, plus my effort equals salvation. God's grace was not enough on its own to save us. Now, here's the problem with that false gospel. No godly living can come from that. None. It's impossible. Because there is no power of God fueling that gospel. That is heretical. Why? Because instead of having Christ alone as the means of their salvation and the power of the true gospel as the basis for godly living, they are depending on themselves for it. They are trying to change and save themselves through their own efforts. I wonder how many in this room right now are trying the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun, loved ones. What is your Jesus and? Jesus and my good works will secure my salvation? See, this is why Paul begins saying in verse 11 that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. He states the basis or foundation for all godly living is what? The grace of God. The grace of God. What is the term grace there? The Greek for grace is charis, and it means this, the favor and kindness of God shown to undeserving sinners. We live in a culture that says you deserve, you deserve, you deserve. You know what? That's a lie. The only thing you and I deserve is death and separation in hell from God for eternity. That's what we deserve. That's why the grace had to appear. Because we can't do it ourselves. The word appeared means it's shown itself. God's grace became visible. It became visible and brought salvation for all people. What is salvation? Let's make sure we're on the same page here. Don't take anything for granted. Salvation, the Greek there, means to save people from the penalty of their sin, which is hell and separation of God for eternity. And each of us as sinners, without the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing our sin, we are separated from God and will be for eternity. 
That's why the grace of God had to appear. Now, I want, I want to make something very clear. Let's get some clarity. We're not just talking about when we think grace, it's like, I want to extend that guy grace. Uh, the attribute of grace. I want to give grace to my kids. I want to give grace to my spouse. Paul's not just speaking of the attribute of grace here. No, no, no. He's, don't miss this, loved ones. He's going much deeper here. He's talking about the embodiment of grace that appeared and brought salvation for all people. Okay, pop quiz. Ready, ready? Who brought salvation for all people? All together. Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ. Did you see the connection right here? Jesus Christ is God's grace incarnate. Jesus Christ is God's grace made visible. That is astounding. God, the God-man coming to earth as fully God and fully man. Making God's grace visible. Coming to bring salvation to all people who repent. He's not talking about some universalism that everyone's going to be saved. No, 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 no. He's talking about all people who repent of their sin and believe in him alone as their Lord and Savior. I love this. Here's what God, I just, I was thinking of this. Let's bring this out. It's like God is saying this. You want to see my grace? You want to see my grace through my power? You want to see my grace through my love for you? You want to see my grace through my wisdom? You want to see my grace through my mercy? You want to see my grace through my compassion? You want to see my grace through my righteousness? You want to see my grace through my godliness? You want to see grace through salvation? Here he is. His name's Jesus. Awesome. Here he is. Here's my son. His name's Jesus. There is my grace made visible for you. My grace that saves. He is my gift of grace. My only son that is bringing salvation to an undeserving world. Here he is. Grace has a name and his name is Jesus. And there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved because there's only one who's been sent to bring salvation to all man. The son of God, equal with God, God himself, humbling himself to his father's will, taking on the form of a man and coming to earth, living a perfect life for 33 years. Think how staggering this is. Don't let familiarity lose your awe. Living a perfect sinless life for 33 years and then going to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And three days later, rising from that grave, defeating the power of sin and death for all time. And now we offer salvation to all who turn from their sin and confess him as their Lord and Savior. There it is. Grace has a name. He's appeared, and his name is Jesus. This is where everything starts. This is where everything starts. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is the foundation for godly living. Question, are you living in its power? If you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior, this is your first step. And the Bible makes it so clear in Hebrews 13 that Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. As Curtis prayed earlier, you are not here by accident. God has brought you here for a purpose. Today, when you hear, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't deserve the gift of salvation. Stop trying to earn it. You and I don't deserve that. But that's the first step to living in the power of the gospel is salvation in Christ. And believers, honestly, this is our biggest stumbling block right here. Because if you're like most Christians, 
you're saying this. Thank you, God, that you've saved me from the penalty of my sin and eternity in hell. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that I'm forgiven by you. Yes. Now what? I'm still afraid. I still lose my cool. I'm still struggling with sin and temptation. I mean, do I have to wait for eternity to kind of live this thing out? Now what? Most of us are in the now what stage. What about how the gospel empowers me to live the godly life now that you call me to? You call me to the God of life. How does the gospel empower me for that? When I'm fighting sin, when that fear and that anxiety and that worry start to cripple in again, when that, when that temptation to go back to the pornography starts to creep in again and again, when the impatience with my kids or my coworkers when the, in the argument with my spouse, in, when I'm in the classroom, how does the gospel apply to that in my day-to-day activities? How does it apply in my life in the church? Hey, loved ones, these are great questions. Great questions, get your pens ready because Paul's about to tell us. He's about to tell us four ways the gospel empowers us to live godly lives right now. Ready to see the fullness of the gospel? Watch this beauty, watch this beauty. The first thing it does, gospel power gives us power for godliness. Sin's power is defeated. Sin's power is defeated. And notice, we don't do random here. Notice the exclamation points, because if you're going to get excited about anything, it's got to be this. All right? Sin's power is defeated. Look at verse 12. Let's go to verse 11. So good. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. See? Notice what happens there? Saving grace... Leads to training grace. Love it. Saving grace leads to training grace. We're just not talking again about information. Great, I know about it. No, 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 no. Sound doctrine, true gospel, leads us past information to transformation. And it leads us, what's the transformation? Training. Training in godliness. What's the Greek word for training there means this. The picture is to train up a child so they mature and reach their full potential to train up a child so they mature and reach their full potential. Well, how does, how does the gospel train us to live godly lives? Keep going. Just, it's right in the text. I don't got to make this stuff up. Renounce. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. The Greek word for renounce there means this. To, refu- get this. to refuse to identify with, to disown, or to forsake. To refuse to even identify with sin, even identify with wickedness activities, even identify with those things that God calls us to flee and forsake. Sinful attitudes, actions, and values of this world. Notice that. It calls us to renounce that. That's the negative, but then look at the positive. It empowers us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives now while we wait for Christ's return. These are the qualities of our new life in Christ. These are the qualities that we will increasingly display by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Self-controlled. We've seen it all throughout this chapter. Self-controlled means we're living lives of moderation. We're living lives of moderation. Restraint. We're curbing our desires and impulses with what we eat, with things we say, with what we do. And it means we're under emotional, mental control. 
We're not flying off the handle. That's self-control, but then there's upright. It means we're just in God's eyes, serious in our dealings with others, not taking the word of God, the truth of God flippantly, but serious in our dealings with others, keeping our word, living and doing what is right in God's eyes, and then godly. Self-controlled, upright, and then godly lives. What's that, holy? One who is inwardly and outwardly devoted to God, not just going through the motions. How many of us walk the walk? Or, sorry, how many of us talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk? From the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak, the mind will think, and the body will act. Holiness, inwardly, outwardly. Now, I want to make something very clear here. You said, but wait a second, I thought you just said we couldn't earn this. Let's, let's be very clear. You'll see it on the screen. The gospel does not guarantee us perfection in this life. Okay? Okay? You and I are not going to be perfect at this on this side of eternity. That day's coming. But it's not right now. The gospel does not guarantee us perfection in this life, but it empowers us for a new direction in this life. A turning away from our sin, a turning towards the Lord increasingly. I don't want that garbage. I see it for what it is. And as the Holy Spirit's inside of us, he's like, get that out of here. Get that out of here. I am making you more like Jesus. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect in this life, but it gives us a new direction. Turn away from the wickedness of this world and toward Christ. You see, 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 as the power of sin is broken, the Holy Spirit conforms us more and more to the image of Christ as he fills us and we walk in him. This is awesome. And you say, why? Why is this so awesome? Because just think, just think about this. Full stop for a second. There is, you know what this means? There is no temptation. There is no sin that has any power over you or me if we are in Christ. None. You say, but what about that? None. You say, Jesus, but this is so strong. Got it. Jesus, what about this? I took that. Yeah, but I got that. But I'm struggling so much. I got that. But do you have me right there in that moment? I got that. Not one. Not one. Think about how many things you're tempted with. Not one has power over you if you're in Christ. Why? Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. God's not interested in just giving you a little facelift when you become a Christian. He's making you new. New means this. Brand new. You know what the Greek word for new means? New. Means new. He's not just buffing you up a little bit and keeping all your sin inside of you. He's making you a new creation. And that means that old man or woman that would give into that temptation, that old man or woman that would give into that impatience, that old man or woman who gives into lust, listen, that person's dead. That person is dead. And the new has come. And that sin, that temptation has no power because the power of sin is defeated by the power of the cross. Amen? Not one. That's the greatest news of all time, loved ones. Sin's power is defeated. And as you run to Christ, as I run to Christ, he promises to give us all we need to not only escape the temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but to overcome it in his name. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Um, Where do you need to remember this truth right now? Like that temptation is so strong. Where do you need to remember this? You are not a slave to that sin. 
Hey, hey, where do you need to remember that? In your family? At work? When you need to submit to someone? Where, where do you need to remember this? Your pride? Think, think. Oh, I wish I could keep expanding on that. We gotta keep moving, it gets better. Here we go. Four ways the gospel empowers us to live uh, godly lives. Number one, gives us power for godliness since power is defeated. Number two, here it is. It allows us to live expectant in hope. Christ is coming soon, amen? I'm gonna say that again. It allows us to live expectant in hope. Why? Because Christ is coming soon. He is coming soon. Look at verse 13. In fact, let's just keep reading the whole thing. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, here's what the gospel does right now. The gospel empowers us to live in expectancy of Christ's return. The term waiting there, you think, well, wait a sec, waiting, like, do I just like, put my feet up on the couch, turn on some Netflix? What, what does that waiting mean? No, no, no. Notice that? Waiting, that's an active verb. That's an active Greek participle right there, by the way. It's active. The waiting is not passive. The Greek word there for waiting means this, to wait actively, confidently, and urgently. It's like this. It's like waiting, waiting, waiting for Christ, waiting for Christ to come, waiting for Christ. Letting that fuel our lives for the blessed and guaranteed hope that Christ is coming soon. And look at this. And the glory of our great God, that is all of Christ's honor, all of Christ's majesty, all of Christ's power, all of Christ's splendor will be seen at this moment. It is going to be seen at this moment. And we will be saved, not just from the penalty of sin that we've been saved from, not just from the power of sin. At this moment right here, we will be saved from the presence of sin for eternity. The very presence of sin wiped out. That's why we wait expectantly. That's why we wait with hope. I love this. You'll see it on the screen. Is that our expectancy of Christ's return should direct how we live our lives in Christ's power now. Because at that moment when Christ returned, God's plan of salvation will be fulfilled. It is going to be fulfilled. We will be removed from the presence of sin. How? How does this fuel our expectancy to live right now? When we see this world around us, it's so dark and full of destruction. And we can get so easily discouraged and hopeless. Look, here's how it does it. Because we know, we know, a day is coming when the presence of sin will be destroyed. Just think about what that means. It's one thing to say that, but let's drill a little bit. Think about what that means. Um, No more suffering. Anyone here right now, in this moment, suffering? Anyone hurting right now? That day's coming very soon when you won't feel that. How about this? No more tears. No more tears. No more pain. Here's, here it is. No more anxiety. As you struggle with that anxiety this week, a day's coming very soon. You won't be if you're in Christ. How about this? No more lust. No more greed. No more destruction. Here's one. No more death. 
no more decay. And I just want you to take a moment, think about all that you have or are going through. Think about that right now. What's that struggle for you? And if you're in Jesus Christ, you can confidently do this. Put two words at the end of that and say, no more. Gone. There's good reason to live expectantly through the power of the gospel. And though we may suffer for a little while here, it's not like this. Sometimes Christians have this reputation of being like, well, you just put on this God happy face and just kind of go, don't pretend like everything's, we're not talking about this at all. Though we may suffer for a time here and feel the impacts of sin and decay and destruction right now, we can look forward We can always look forward with great anticipation and guaranteed hope that Christ is on the way. Hey, loved one, you need to hear that again. Christ is on the way. He said so. The second last verse in the book, Revelation 22, I am coming soon. Draw near to me. It's not gonna last forever. And we can fight the good fight of the faith. And we can press on in his power and live with urgency, not apathy, not complacency, not indifference in proclaiming this hope to others. What person on this planet doesn't need to hear this hope? You turn on the news and you see story after story of destruction and death and the impact of sin all around us and people crying out for a savior and trying to find it in places that'll never give it. What person on this planet does not need to hear the hope that salvation has come and his name is Jesus? And we live with urgency that fuels us with great urgency right in the middle of our own suffering. And it's so easy in our own suffering to just get so focused on our own situation. We take our eyes off Christ and the mission he's called us to. Listen, right in the middle of that, because, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. We press on with urgency because when the last is heard, Jesus comes. We're telling as many people as we can about it. I love how Martin Luther has, he said this quote, he says, I have two days on my calendar. I got this day and I've got that day. Are you living in, how many days are on your calendar? Are you living in light of this? This day or that day? The day when Christ returns. So question, are you living with expectant hope in light of that day? Are you fixing, loved ones, your eyes on Jesus through his word? through prayer, through worship with his church, through obedience, and through sharing the gospel with urgency with those God has put around you? Or are our eyes focused on ourselves and on our own situations and what we want them to be like? It's so easy to do. What's your hope in today? Gospel power gives us power for godliness since power is defeated it gives us a life of expectant that is expectant in hope. Christ is coming back soon. And here's the third thing it does. Gospel power makes us a possession of God. I am his for eternity. I am his for eternity. 
Let's read. Let's keep reading. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here it is. Who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. See, notice this. This is beautiful. Jesus went to the cross to give himself up for us as a substitute to pay the penalty for our sin that we deserve. The word redeem there means this. Write this down. To release a slave that is held captive. The word redeem means to release a slave that is held captive. How? By paying the full ransom for their life. By paying the full ransom, the full price for their life. And notice this, he redeemed us and then to purify us from all sin and wickedness that all who believe in him would become his own possession. Wait a second, what does that mean? The word for possession there means this, to become one of, ready? Surpassing value. To be one who is treasured to be one who is precious in his sight as his prized possession. This is my son. This is my daughter. See, in Christ, here's, this is so crucial. In Christ, our identity is no longer in who or what this world says we are. In Christ, it is no longer in who or what this world says we are, but in who he says we are. And nothing can take that away from us. Here's the reality, John 10, 28, because nothing can snatch us out of his hands. It's in who he says we are, not in who our kids say we are, not in who our coworkers say we are, not in who the world says we are. So question that we're confronted with is this, whose possession are you living as today? Whose possession are you living as today? Let's break this down. Are you living in this, who this world says you are based on your abilities? Based on the amount of money you have? How high you are on the corporate ladder? How about this? Based on your performance? Well, here's the truth. Here's the truth. You see it all the time. Hey, hey, we're in this world. We are only as good as our last result. And if this is what we're basing our identity on, we're in real trouble. Okay, here, whose possession are you living as? Are you living as the possession of your sin? Living under guilt and condemnation. Living under the state of hopelessness. Why do so many Christians live under guilt and condemnation? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Or are we living as a possession of God who he says you are as his child? Ready for this? Write this down. Loved, blessed, chosen, redeemed, secure, adopted, Fearfully and wonderfully made. 
valued, precious, even if you don't get the grades, even if you don't get the raise, you are precious in his sight and that has nothing to do with it? Question. Where do you need to remember whose you really are today? Where do you need to remember whose you really are? It's life, life-changing. Gospel power gives us power for godliness since power is defeated. It, it makes us expectant and hope that Christ is coming soon and we live as a possession of God. I am his and he is mine for eternity. And lastly, we see this here. Gospel power helps us live with passion for good works. God's power lived out through me. Look at the last part of verse 14. Who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, here it is, who are zealous for good works. The Greek word for zealous there, I love this. It means to boil over with passion. Boil over with passion. As the gospel's power is at work in our lives, we have an increasing desire to honor Christ and live lifestyles that adorn or beautify the gospel with passion and deepening commitment to Christ that inspires and motivates others to embrace him too. Passion doesn't mean you gotta be the loudest person in the room. It doesn't mean you gotta go all beat red in your face and jump on tables. Passion means a deepening commitment to the good works done in Jesus Christ and what he's called us to. A courageous clarity to do so. Now, again, we need clarity here. These are not good works done for salvation. You understand that? These are not good works for salvation. That's getting back into that false teaching we talked about. But these are the works, the zealous works are the result of our salvation. They are, look at it this way, they are the mark of our salvation, not the means to it. They are the mark of our salvation, increasingly zealous for good works of God. See, God makes us more like him, loved ones, so we can display more of him. God makes us more like him so we can display more of him by his power as we live lives of gospel distinction that adorn the beauty of our Savior to a world that is crying out for him. Question, the gospel is the foundation for godly living. Beautiful. Are you living in its power? Are you, just look at the list right there. Power for godliness, expectant in hope, possession of God, passion for good works. Are you living in its power? Where do you need to get before the Lord right now and pray this? Jesus, you must increase right there at that point and I must decrease. You must increase in my identity and I have to decrease in what I'm basing it on. You must increase so that I'm fired up for good works instead of working for myself. You must increase. I must decrease. See, to live lives rooted in sound doctrine, loved ones, we must live in the power of the gospel. And if we are to live in the power of the gospel, last point is this. We must uphold the proclamation of the gospel. Conviction. We must uphold the proclamation 
of the gospel conviction. The question we're confronted with here is this. Gospel power flows from gospel proclamation. Am I living with conviction? Am I living with conviction? Look at verse 15. Declare these things. What things? That you've heard in verses 1 to 14 so far. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. See, Paul reemphasizes to Titus what he told him in the beginning of chapter 2. There's a bookend. He said, teach sound doctrine. And here he is saying it again. The truth of God's word. And teach the lifestyles that it calls us to. How does he say to teach it? Declare it. What does declare mean? Preach. Proclaim it. Proclaim the sound doctrine, not what you want it to say so you're going to win friends. Not what you want it to say or what people want to hear so that you're gonna, they're going to like you more. No, no, no. Declare these things. What things? Sound doctrine. The true gospel. The lifestyle that it calls us to. And then no, don't just declare it. Exhort people in it. What does exhort mean? Encourage them. Encourage them to apply God's word, not just know it, but live by it. Don't just become a Bible head full of knowledge. Live it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 20. This is why coming together is so important as the community of faith. Hebrews 10, 23. Stir one another up to love and good deeds. There it is, zealous for good works. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Not just saying they're Christians, but exhort them to walk the talk. How about this? Declare, exhort, and now this one, rebuke people with the truth. Speak the truth in love to correct those who are unfaithful. It's not beating them over the head with your Bible. We think rebuke and this bad rap. Listen, it's, the point of rebuke is restoration. In love and in truth exposing the wrongdoing with solid biblical evidence to say, hey, loved one, you know what? I saw you speaking this way or you're struggling with this sin. Hey, let's go to God's word about this and let me pray it over you. Do you have the courage and conviction to be able to correct a brother or sister or those claiming to be Christians when you see error? See, and Titus was to do this with all the authority that was given to him by God as a pastor, elder, and spiritual overseer of the church and not let anyone disrespect him or disregard him. And if someone did oppose him, he was not to be dissuaded from his calling. He'd hold fast to it with conviction, loved ones. He was to hold fast to the truth as he contended for the faith in an increasingly hostile culture and he was not to compromise on it and neither are we. You may think, well, I'm not a pastor. You're a Christian, That's our call. Without conviction. With conviction and not compromise. And the same principle is this. Every follower of Christ is to contend for the faith and hold fast in proclaiming the gospel with sound doctrine and conviction on our lips and in our lives. No matter who may disrespect, dishonor, or look down upon us for doing so. This hit me this week. You'll see it on the screen. We are not called to be peddlers of God's word, but proclaimers of God's word. We are not called to give itching ears what they want to hear so they'll like us. 
we are called to be proclaimers of God's word. Why? Why the high call? Here's why. Because the gospel is the basis for godly living. No gospel, no godly living. And we must live in the power of it. We must uphold its proclamation because without the true gospel, here it is, without the true gospel, without sound doctrine being proclaimed, there is no godly living being trained. That's the truth. This is why we teach sound doctrine. Without the gospel being proclaimed, there is no godly living being trained. Question, are you living with conviction about this? Who's God put around you to proclaim this to? And so it's only fitting after hearing a message like that, it's only fitting that we take a step of remembrance right now of why this is even possible. And we remember the person and work of Jesus Christ by coming, coming to the Lord's table and remembering our foundation that makes godly living even possible. And we come to the communion table and it is a time to remember Christ's death and how he paid the penalty for our sin, suffering and dying that we may receive forgiveness of sin and walk in freedom and new life in him. And the two elements we remember him with today are this, the bread which represents his body that was crushed for us beyond the recognition of a human being. And the other element is the juice which represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin that we may walk in new life in him. But here's the thing. This is not a flippant moment. This is a sacred moment. As we come to the Lord's table, Scripture's so clear that we examine ourselves. And hey, loved ones, can you just put that list back up on the screen? Put that list back up on the screen of gospel power. It's time to examine ourselves right now. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight and 29 says this, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so in these next few moments, let's just be, just be still. Look at that. Pray over that. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal where am I not walking your path? Where am I, where's my unbelief? Where am I not living with conviction? Where am, what am I striving to put my identity in? Where am I thinking that sin has defeated me here? Where am I not zealous for good works? And as the Holy Spirit reveals, take time to confess that and repent of them in the quietness of your heart. And if you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, two things I want to say to you. Number one, I'm so thankful you're here. I pray that you have been blessed and encouraged through this. But you have also been led to conviction to say, apart from Jesus Christ, I can do nothing. I need a Savior. And God sent me one. And I need him. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to let the elements pass by you because the communion table is only for those who've confessed Christ as their personal Savior. If you're walking in unrepentant sin right now, you take the time to get it right with the Lord before you touch that communion plate. Make sure you take two cups, and once everyone has been served, we'll take them all together. 
ushers, you may come forward. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are the foundation for all godly living. You are the grace of God incarnate, made visible for us. And right now, in this place right now, I pray for such gospel clarity. I pray for such gospel conviction. God, that we wouldn't try to approach you as we think we need to be right now, but we would approach you as we are and say, God, I'm struggling with that. I need you to take this. Forgive me. I have not been walking in the power of the gospel here. Please help me. Please help me. Help me to love you more. Increase in me there, God, to see the victory that you promised because it's in Christ alone my hope is found, not in any of these other things, Lord. Please help us, God. In Jesus' name. Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ crushed for us. in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes the blood of Christ 
shed for us. In Christ alone, in Christ alone our hope is found. He is our light, he is our strength, he is our song. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the power of Christ, I stand. Let's stand and respond.